400 years had passed since the prophets of old had fallen silent. Their voices of wisdom and prophecy, but distant echoes in the annals of time. Prophetic silence. It was as if the universe itself was holding its breath, waiting. The world laid lost in darkness, held in the grip of the Roman Empire's power. Yet in this prolonged silence against this canvas of despair and anticipation, destiny was quietly weaving a tale. Something small, something seemingly insignificant was happening in a little town called Bethlehem. Not a capital, not a hub of commerce or power, but in a tiny whisper of a town. It was here. Amidst the overlooked and the ordinary, a child is born. But this is no ordinary child. This is the universe exhaling, releasing that held breath in the form of boundless hope and promise. This child is the antithesis to empire, to domination and oppression. He has a new kind of story, a story of love, of a kingdom built not on selfish ambition, but on selflessness. His path wasn't one of palaces or grand courts, but of dusty roads, stormy seas, and intimate dinners with the most unexpected of guests. He taught on hillsides and quiet corners. He sought out the lost, healed the sick, and even elevated the outcast. In a world lusting for power and domination, he humbly washed the feet of his disciples. The King of Heaven, the Lamb of the living God, the Savior to all the world, left the glory of heaven to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a lowly manger. In the midst of this immense, mighty Roman narrative, it is this humble account of Jesus' birth that endures. The greatest rescue story of all time, the great God of the universe, the mighty King of heaven, would come to earth as a baby and shine his great light into a world suffering in darkness, a world that is still so desperately searching for even a flicker of hope. This Christmas, let's remember, he could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see, brought every tribe and nation to their knee. He could have marched into the heart of Rome, arriving with the host of heaven in royal robe and crown. But he chose meekness over majesty, wrapped his power in humanity. Glory be to God alone, King who reigns from a major throne. Heavenly Father, we're gathered here this Christmas Eve because you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, the great King of Heaven, did not grasp equality with God 
something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of humanity, being a bondservant, and offering himself up for the sins of the world. Mankind was in darkness. Relationship had been broken. And not because God broke the relationship, but man chose darkness. For scripture even says, men love darkness for their deeds are evil. And the light exposes evil. Yet in a room this size, I'm sure that there are those who feel the darkness of the society they live in all around them. There are some who have made decisions that have led to dark paths. There are those that have been hurt and are struggling and maybe have just stumbled into the room this Christmas Eve. And they're looking and they're searching for even a glimmer of hope that this world simply can't provide. It's this light that shined in Bethlehem that still shines, that offers mankind a hope to restore a broken relationship with the God of the universe and be with him together forever upon calling on his name. And so, Lord, we celebrate what Jesus did, for it was unlikely, it was uncommon, but that's what it takes to restore relationship. Someone has to choose humility. Someone has to do the uncommon. Someone needs to take the first step. And Jesus did that for us while we were yet sinners in darkness. He shined his light for us to see. We thank you, Jesus. We celebrate your birth this Christmas Eve. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture says the light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Scripture also says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's so great to see you all. Thank you for joining us here at Renew Bible. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad you are with us to celebrate the King of Heaven being born in what? A manger? Wow. What an incredible act of humility. I mean, how many kings do you know who would abandon their thrones? How many greats of our society would leave their homes? How many fathers? I have multiple kids. I love them. I love this church, but I can't imagine sacrificing one of them for people, especially people who would mock, spit, and torture God's child, but how many fathers do we know who would give up their sons for us? This is the act of love. This is the act of divine love that we celebrate this Christmas, and it's the perfect gift coming down 
from the Father of lights. Are you familiar with the verse? It's James 1.17. Scripture says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Have you ever gotten somebody the perfect gift? I mean, you knew, oh, you nailed it. Some of you are thinking, oh, I got it. It's getting open tonight or maybe tomorrow. Do you have somebody in your family that can't hold off on gifts and they're like, okay, fine, just have it. There's others of you that can't not give it away, right? You got a little brother or sister kids who just like will tell what you got. Like, I'm not gonna tell you. Okay, fine. I mean, because they're so excited because it's the perfect gift. And one Christmas, one Christmas, um, our, our, our youngest got his mom what he felt was the perfect gift. And, 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 and this, is, this is the gift. It's a puzzle, and, and it's really neat. It has mom in the center and then me at the top. I like that. That's kind of neat. You know, it's not necessarily reality, but okay. But I like it. That dad, and then it's got his brothers and sisters named. And mom is the peace. Ready? I'm going to read this. She is, mom, you are the peace that holds us all, take a guess, together. You're the peace that holds us all together. You see, there's dynamics to this word together. Much like there's that peace that connects everyone, there's someone probably in your family that the reason you're here tonight is because they're the peace that holds everyone together. Come on, mom wants us sitting together. Come on, and, 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 and it's the thing that drawed everybody out to be here. Well, in our family, it was, mom, you're the peace that holds together. One problem, uh, it didn't come on time. So he had to do the next thing. He would make it himself. And so he gave this to her for Christmas, and it looks maybe a little bit different, but it says, Mom, you're the peace that holds us, help me, together. The only problem is mom's not the piece that holds us together. When you look at the puzzle, it's actually mom is here and then, and then he's over here and, and, and we're all there, okay? But it's not perfect. Um, moms, help me out. Which one do you think his mom likes the most? That one or this one? It's this one. And isn't that so often the case? We have this picture of what we want everything to be like at Christmas. It's so perfect. It's going to be great. It's just going to be, oh, I got this. We're all going to go to church together. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And then you go. And somebody's out in the parking lot. Somebody didn't come on time. Somebody didn't want to be here. Somebody loved their cell phone more than anything else. I mean, some, it's always something, right? And it's like, come on, I just wanted us to be what? Together. Together. Yet the picture is often not exactly what we thought it would be. And maybe you're here this Christmas Eve, and if you look at your life, or you look at your family, you say, I am anything but together. But I'm here. And I'm here because I want to be near Jesus and the story of his life at Christmas time. It's a beautiful picture, right? It's a gorgeous picture. In fact, have you ever just looked and gazed at a nativity and thought, what a beautiful picture. 
I mean, every good and perfect gift, and it looks so peaceful, it looks so calm. How many of you want to make a bet it wasn't that nice that night? You see, the nativity was designed by the church around 1223. And the nativity was a, it was a, it was a piece of art, if you will, that enabled people to act out and kind of work together of what their perfect picture of Christmas would be. And any artist knows this. When you're drawing a caricature, you draw out the highlights, the big moments to tell the best story. And that's what the nativity does. It draws out all the elements of scripture. And it's this wonderful story of the God of the universe becoming a baby. And those who love Jesus and follow Jesus, worship this baby who was born a king in a manger throne. Yet there's some who say, do I have to check my brain at the door to follow the things of faith? Isn't it just kind of like a crutch for people who like need religion and stuff to feel good or something like that? I mean, really, I mean, You want me to like give my life, as some of these songs are saying, give everything I have to to a a child? I mean, it's a cute picture, but do I got to check my brain at the door? And the reality is no, not at all. Not even a little bit. Because the reality is, yeah, it may really not have looked just like that. But the deal with faith is, It's not determining how did this all happen, but why? You know, I know myself, you know, I I don't claim to be a scholar, but I have a few degrees in scripture, and, and I would tell you that, yeah, that's probably not maybe exactly how it went. I love the nativity, don't get me wrong, but when I look at this and I see one donkey on the side, I'm like, I don't know if I would have had a donkey there. I mean, did you know that in none of the gospel accounts does it record Mary riding on a donkey? What? Yeah, that's not in scripture. I mean, she probably would have came by wagon, which might have been pulled by a couple donkeys or other animals that could pull it. But over that rough terrain, they had to get to Bethlehem. She was most likely in some sort of wagon. And so maybe I would have a wagon, a couple donkeys. So maybe I wouldn't necessarily have one donkey. And then I look at this angel, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, You know, that is not what scripture portrays angels are like. In fact, they're always listed in rank and in organization. Did you know that? Archangel Michael, okay? Messenger Michaels like Gabriel. And then in those ranks were seraphim and cherubim. Cherubim were God's guardians. They would stand at the gates, even the gates of the Garden of Eden. Seraphim stand around the throne of God. They have six wings and they shout, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In fact, every time they break through those cloven skies and talk with humanity, humanity is terrified and stand back at the thought of angels. So I don't know if I've got a harp been like that over that. So, so, so I mean, not that the angels weren't there. They were there, but probably maybe didn't necessarily look like that. Well, at least we've got, at least we've got the stable. And I, yeah, uh, um, You know, if if you study Jewish culture, um, when scripture says there was no room in the inn, scripture is translated from an original language of Greek. And the Greek word for inn isn't like Motel 6, 
okay? They didn't have, it's like, if you're picturing, ah, there's nobody in the room. In was the same word we leveraged for upper room. Okay, so Jewish houses often had upper rooms and lower rooms to keep things dry up there. And they would often, when guests would come into town, they were asked to be hospitable. Jesus even said, if a visitor shows up at midnight, find a way to be hospitable. And they would often invite them into the upper room or to the inn, and there was no room in the inn for them. And so Jesus went out to be in a manger And so it could probably be either the lower part of a Jewish home or out in the backyard in a cave-like area. They didn't have, believe it or not, they didn't have cul-de-sacs and developments, okay? Bethlehem was a very little town and everybody needed to be either a shepherd or something because in the day and age we live in, it's cars and garages that kind of simulate what you, you have in life, what theirs was animals and different things. And so they, they keep them out there. And so you could either put Jesus maybe in a cave or, or in this, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with a stable, but maybe not maybe not necessarily that. You go, well, at least you got the star. And oh my word, oh, the star of wonder that appeared that night in the night sky. I'm not sure I would have it uh, 20 feet above the manger. I mean, because uh, I got this thing pictured way up in the sky that only educators could have studied and noted where it was and, and it located them. But, but what you have to understand about that star and the amazing part of it is that God used that to direct the Magi to Jesus. Oh my word. And, and when they showed up, did you realize that Herod had no clue what the star was? You would think if there was this gigantic beam 10 feet above the manger, people in Bethlehem were like, what's going on down? What's that going about? But Herod's like, what star? And they said, the star, his star, we've come to worship the king of Jews. And Herod was so threatened by this. He said, I want any child under the age of two to be killed for fear. Why two? Well, it says when they came, they came studying this star. So maybe in my house, I would I maybe not have the star 20 feet. I put it in the top of the ceiling, okay? So people come walking in and they go, Chris, you're in nativity. Where's the star? Up there. Whoa! Yeah, star of wonder. And yes, I love the song, We Three Kings, but scripture refers to them as magi, actually. And magi was a word used, especially in the Persian culture, for astronomers. They were studiers of the stars. And the Magi, which could have been a bunch of them, we only think it's three because of the gifts. It could have been multiple Magi traveling from Persia, which many scholars believe were students of a great stargazer as well as teacher of the stars and the signs of the times named Belteshazzar. That was his Babylonian name. His Jewish name was Daniel. And the studiers of the stars, these magis, saw this star. And how they did it wasn't with like a big telescope like you might imagine. They would often have pools, like 
glass, the water was so clear. And they'd look at the star formations and they'd study it as a reflection. And they saw this star. They were looking for this star and they traveled some 800, 900 miles. In fact, scripture says when they showed up, he was a child, which seems to refer to the fact that Jesus had grown. And so nativity is awesome, but I might have my, if, if I was setting up a nativity in my house, I might, I might have the magi in the other room. If I set up my nativity in the living room, maybe put the magi out in the in the other other room people come in and go where's your magi they're coming they're coming there perfect what what no the nativity's wonderful but we know just like we think that night might have been perfect i mean there are some people who still think jesus didn't cry but that's not in scripture, that's a song. Ask Mary, he was a baby. What do babies do? But we have all these traditions and they're wonderful and there's nothing wrong with them. But we have to actually know scripture and what scripture says to get the most fullest view of what happened that night in Bethlehem. Oh, the the wise men arrived and the star guided them over the house where Jesus was. What an incredible night. But I'm sure it smelled. I'm sure there was stuff going on. We don't want to know about the shepherds. We're all there, all these different things. And isn't it so true of us? Sometimes we have this picture of what we want everything to be. It's going to be perfect, but it sometimes just ends up like this. But what was important isn't that the perfect picture was created. It's that we were all together. And that's the point. Jesus wanted us to be together. And he knows that sometimes that looks messy. He knows that we're not perfect. We don't have perfect families. We don't have perfect lives. Only he was perfect. He wants a relationship from us. Religion says things like, you have to be perfect and you better be this and you have to do this. But he didn't come for religion. He came for relationship. In fact, that's why I think one of the goals of the enemy is to make the church look so bad at relationship that nobody wants anything to do with it. In fact, some people look at church as a place where just the self-righteous, judgmental, kind of strange people are, and they're turned off by the whole idea Or something happened in a church that hurt them so deeply. People say things to me sometimes like, Chris, can you believe that happened at the church? They were so mean. At a church. I said, I've been a pastor for over 20 years. Some of the cruelest things that have ever happened to me have happened at a church. Why? Because there's imperfect people. Every new Bible, I'd love to put up a sign that says, hey, no perfect people allowed in here. We're just a bunch of people that are held together by one piece, Jesus. And because we come in with different philosophies and different thoughts and different thinking and different ways to do life and different way to parent and different way to educate, different ways, we have all these differences. The church comes together and sometimes we get exposed for not behaving and reflecting the life of Jesus. And so Jesus, using one of his speakers, the apostle Paul, taught the church what it would do to make his joy really complete. And so 
I got this puzzle. Now, have you ever gotten a puzzle that doesn't have a picture on it that does, and the front and the back are the same? I got a puzzle and it was 24 pieces and I was gonna draw something for you all and put it up here today, I'm about to, but, but, but I tried to put it back together. Oh my word, that was hard. I was like, this is impossible, it's 24 pieces. Why is this taking me so long? I, I gotta admit, I got help to put it together. But, but, but then I drew on it and that helped me put this together. And here's my puzzle. It's the message that the Apostle Paul delivered to the church so that they would be the light of the world and show the world that this Jesus, the true light, is in them. And he said, make my joy complete. And I got three pieces that are going to complete his joy in Scripture, and you got to put them in the order or it gets all messed up. Yeah, you see, make my joy complete as a church. Have you ever seen those Advent calendars at Christmas? Well, we've been walking through all the times the phrase one another is used in Scripture. Because when you hear one another, that is the one another's of Scripture are the ways the church is supposed to behave towards one another. And that will make the Apostle Paul's joy complete. So we brought up a huge advent calendar. Look at this, okay? And so we've gotten pretty far. We've been opening box by box. And, and so let's show them how many boxes we've already opened. Okay, we've been doing good. So love one another. Hey, consider one another more important than yourselves. Stir up one another. Encourage one another. Hey, have the same mind about Jesus as one another. Don't devour one another with slander and gossip. Don't do that. Wait for one another. Don't rush ahead. Don't think about only yourself. Worship with one another. Have harmony with one another. Honor. Host one another. Don't grumble about one another. Be members of one another. Serve one another. Admonish and instruct when there's a time. Have the same care. Don't care about one person more than the other. Submit to one another. Don't get envious of one another. Why does the church need to hear all these one another's? It's as if the scripture says, I know you all are different. I know you come with all your mess and you're all here because I'm the peace that holds you all together but you bring all your differences into the room. And when the world sees that, they're gonna assume, I don't want anything to do with the church if we don't live the life of Jesus Christ. And so we're given these one another's. Can you imagine a family with the sole goal of considering other more important, stirring each other up, singing together, having the same care? Can you imagine what that would look like? That is how you make his joy complete. Well, it's December 24th, so let's see what we're gonna open today. I wanna knock out this wine here. Here we go. Okay, open up box 24. What do we got? Fellowship with one another. Okay, open the present. I wanna read the verse. I wanna read it. Okay, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, these are commands for those who follow Jesus Christ. And so if you've not committed your life to Jesus Christ yet, look what he asks of his kids. He says, hey, I want you to fellowship with one another. What does that mean? Go down to the fellowship hall and eat a bunch of food? No, no. Fellowship means I want you to desire a mutual benefit for each other. I want you to come in here and have a mutual desire to benefit one another and to agree that my way is the best way. 
So fellowship with one another. Uh, imagine a family, their whole goal was to benefit one another. Oh, 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 let's open up some more. Can we open up uh, box 19? 19, let's go right down the row here. Greet one another. Okay, open a box. Let's see what it says. Greet one another. Okay, greet one another with a holy kiss. Sweetheart, get in the car. We're out here. This church is messed up. I am not kissing anybody in that church. What? Greet one another with a holy kiss. We got to act this out this morning? No, no, no. What's the idea here? Well, in the Jewish culture, this would be similar to the American handshake. Greet one another. You say, really? The church struggled that much to get along that they had to be told to greet one another? Is that really that important? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever walked into a room and not been greeted? Feels great, doesn't it? You ever go to a restaurant and everybody's ignoring you while you're standing there? It's a wonderful feeling, right? Paul says, hey, church, when you come together, make sure you're going out of your way to say hi to each other. We live in a culture that puts their head in a cell phone when they walk past each other, right? How would the church be if it was like, hey, how you doing? How are you? Greet one another. Let's open another box. Wow, 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 wow. 20, 20, box 20, please. What do we got? Welcome one another. Okay, read it. Let's see it. Let's see it. Okay, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Wow. Young people, you ever been on a sports team? Just transfer from another school? Maybe you're a freshman and you knew you were not welcome? What's it like when you get welcomed? You might be getting together with your family members, even tonight. Imagine if someone in the room said, I'm gonna go out of my way to make sure everyone's welcome. What if it was just someone in the corner goes, it's other people's job to welcome people. I'm just gonna sit here and have everybody go, what's his problem? You see, when we welcome one another, we, we lower everybody's fears, anxieties, and, and, and standing away from one another by saying, hello, come on over, sit by me. Wow, church had to have this? Yeah, yeah, and welcome one another, not as that guy welcomes you, but as I welcomed you. Well, Jesus welcomed me while I was yet a sinner. Have you ever heard somebody say, I better not go to the church, the place will burn down if I walk in? There's people who think if I come into church, I gotta clean myself up first. Why? Because the church sometimes does that to people. But Jesus says, I loved you while you were yet a sinner. You didn't arrive. I moved first. I wanted to be together first. Oh, okay, let's get another box open here. Box 21, what do we got? Be kind to one another, really? They had to be told to be kind? Okay, let's read this, okay. Be kind to one another, be tender-hearted. Now, now, don't confuse kindness with niceness. You can be nice, I know. You can be nice to people you don't like, can't you? Hey, how you doing, jerk? You know what it means to be kind? I really want what's best for you. I'm pulling for you. I want to see you do well. Can you imagine if someone in your family said, I want us to all be together, so I'm going to be kind to everyone. Wow. This is the idea behind the church. What else we got? We got a couple more here. Let me see. Oh, yeah. Box 22. Open it up. Forgive one another. What? Like, like God assumes the church is going to hurt one another's feelings? Like, that's going to happen, not like, can you believe that happens at church? It's going to happen. You're all different, and the only thing that brings you together is me. And so forgive each other when you hurt each other. No, no, if somebody hurts me, I'm never talking to them again. 
Forgive each other. Why? Because the root of bitterness will grow and it'll destroy your life. What does scripture say? Forgive one another. Oh, as God in Christ forgave you. You're telling me you forgave me, Jesus, when I accepted you as my savior? Yes. But I didn't deserve that, exactly. That's why I moved first. It's another box, there was one more. Open up uh, box 23, what does it say? At peace. I love this box, you wanna know why? All these other boxes are written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in the Bible. This one is said by Jesus himself in the Gospel of Mark. And what does Jesus want? How can we make Jesus' joy complete? Read it. Be at peace with one another. To be at peace with other people, I've got to make the first move sometimes. Scripture says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. We can't control how other people will treat us but I want you to live for me first, other people, and then think of yourself. That's how to make my joy complete. So let's make joy an acronym here and finish our puzzle. It's gotta start with the J piece, or Jesus. In order to make his joy complete, everything starts with giving your life to Jesus. Jesus, and then O. What comes second with Jesus? Love God and love one another. So Jesus, others, that's second. Well, if, if, if Jesus is first and others are second, that means why or you or me is last. Yeah. I'm gonna show you the cure for anxiety. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anxiety says, what about me? What's gonna happen to me? Oh my word, what if this happens? We need to go hide. We gotta protect ourselves. I can't sleep at night. I can't do that. That's what anxiety does. But when we think, how can I help them? How can I be thinking about them? When everybody comes over today, what could I do for them to encourage them? What could I do to welcome people? What could I do to greet people? What could I do to forgive someone? You're thinking about others and nobody would do that unless you first put Jesus as a priority. And so, Jesus, others, you, makes his joy complete. And isn't that a great picture? You say, no, that's not the beautiful picture. I have joy, I wanna see it perfect. I mean, I was one of those kids where if the dry erase board wasn't completely dried off, I'm like, go up and fix it. I can't handle it looking like that. But guess what? Joy isn't happiness. Happiness is based on your happenings. That's where you get the word. Joy is based on Jesus, others than you. And that's what completes his joy. He doesn't ask your family to be perfect. He doesn't ask you to be perfect. In fact, your puzzle might look really really weird to a lot of people. But that's not what he cares about. He just wants to be the peace that holds you all, what? Together.
Heavenly Father, this Christmas, there are those who so desperately want to find joy in this life, but they're looking for it in the most puzzling of ways. They're looking for it in the way the world tries to find joy. And so one more thing, one more event, one more zero on the check, one more deposit in the retirement fund, one more. But our joy is found in being together with you, in putting you first in our lives, others second, and us last. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, will one day enter his complete joy. And while we're on earth, those who follow Jesus, may we shine our light the brightest by living out joy. Scripture's so clear. For those who find themselves in broken places, that in order to be together with the God of the universe, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead. If we do that, we'll be saved. Forgive us from our sin. And we turn to you and seek to live life out. J-O-Y. May we make your joy complete, Jesus, not by being a perfect family, not by having a perfect Christmas, but by simply knowing if there's one thing we're together on, it's you. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us all together tonight to sing and praise the King who came in humility to get our attention. He chose meekness over majesty. He was born in a manger, but it was no ordinary manger that held a king, and therefore it was a, it was a manger throne.